Several weeks ago, I attended the Fresh Wind Banquet, and a young man named Devin shared about how Jesus had worked in his life, and I was so moved by his testimony that I said, the rest of the church needs to hear this. So Devin, share with us what Jesus has done in your life. Good morning. How's everybody doing? It's a, it's a good day to be in uh, the house of the Lord. My name is Devin Van Convort. I'm 22 and I'm married with two beautiful children. Before I got to Fresh Winds, I was in a dark and lonely place. I had been an addict for many years and I was broken. I was addicted to marijuana, meth, gambling, and money. At first, I was more addicted to the money that I was making in the streets. But all that changed when I became an intravenous drug user at the age of 16. <clears throat> I started using drugs a couple years prior and honestly never thought that anything could ever help me get sober. I didn't care about anybody around me, even though I was surrounded by many people who loved me and wanted me to do better. They all saw the potential in me, but I couldn't see it in myself. All I thought I was good at was getting high. This last time I got locked up, I was sitting in my cell, and I just knew that it was time to make a change, but I knew I couldn't do it alone. I needed help, and there was only one person that could help me grasp my sobriety, and that person was God and Jesus. So I made a few phone calls, and Fresh Winds wasn't one of the programs on my list. I ended up at this place called The Favor House, and I just wasn't getting what I needed spiritually. I had heard so many good things about Fresh Winds Ministries, so I decided it was time to make a change of venue and come to Fresh Winds. And God and Jesus put me exactly where I needed to be and where they wanted me. The work God has done in my life through Fresh Winds Ministries have truly been life-changing and amazing. I no longer have the desire to use drugs or gamble. After being locked up for two months, being in the favor house for two more months, and going through my 90 days in phase one here at Fresh Winds, I finally got to spend the day with my family. And we were all sitting at the dinner table on my birthday, and I blessed the food, and I looked up, and all I saw was my family crying. I asked them what was wrong, because this was supposed to be a happy time. And they told me that they're so happy to see the new me and the changes I've made in my life. And they told me that I was the reason we were all getting close together, and that I was the backbone of the family. And the happiness that brought me was truly amazing. I knew then that God through fresh winds was truly changing my life. I'm so proud and honored to be able to say that I'm a part of such an amazing ministry and I can't wait to see what else fresh winds has to offer me. Before I got to fresh winds, I was trying to fill a hole in my heart with drugs, money, and gambling. But with the help of fresh winds, I've learned that the only thing that can truly fill the hole in my heart is God and Jesus Christ. Thank you all for letting me speak. Proud of you, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you can be seated. So we're going to take the offering at this time, and we're going to dive into the Word in just a minute because we're going to save the majority of our worship for after the message. So if the ushers would come now, let's pray for our offering. God, we thank you for now the privilege to give that helps support ministries like Fresh Wind, CR, all the ministries here, youth, children, small groups, men, young adults, college. So thank you, Lord, for the privilege now to truly invest in eternity through our giving. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as the offering's taken, um, let me uh, give you a few quick reminders in the life of and happenings of the church. Tonight, the college group, there is a dinner for you at the buyers. Go on the app, sign up, because we want to make sure there's plenty of food for y'all. That's 5 o'clock at the buyer's house, and again, all this is on your flyer. 
Then also tonight at 6 o'clock, young adults meet in the chapel for a tacky sweater contest. And listen, if you've, if you've seen Jeff Peacock's sweater, you've got some serious competition. It is the most tacky, nasty thing I've ever seen. And uh, he's going to be wearing that tonight. Then this Saturday, for all the men of the church, we have an event out at Dewey Lee's house. Make sure you sign up on the app because we need to make sure we have plenty of food. But that's going to be a great time next Saturday. A lot of opportunities here. And then hope you were given this card. If you don't already have one, make sure you get one in the lobby. This is the Whole Heart Advance four-day retreat at Camp Maranatha at the end of April. We want every man in the church to go to this. You're going to be hearing a lot more about it. Start saving your money. Ask for this for Christmas if finances are an issue. It is an amazing encounter with God. My brother comes with a team from Colorado Springs. We had 80 men go last time, so we want every man in the church to go because if you stay here, there's going to be a sissy service for just women that Sunday. You're supposed to laugh at that. Yeah, there's going to be a sissy service. So for, for the, if you're a wimp, then you don't go to this, then you're, you're going to be a part of a sissy service here. Uh, but we're <laughs> just kidding, kind of. All right. But we do want every man in the church to be a part of this. Now, I know many of you are down due to a certain event yesterday, but let me remind us all of what is eternal, hello, and what is worth focusing on, and that is our God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Amen? So speaking of that, uh, let's stand together for the reading of Scripture. And children, as we stand, you are dismissed. They are prepared for you all to leave earlier today. You all go out with Miss Kathy there. By the way, at the end of the service, I'm going to invite you to go to the reception for the Wren family. And parents, make sure you get your kids before you go to that reception. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as you're turning, I was so encouraged last week in all three services by the Q&A time. You're, I told our staff in our staff meeting that I've never had a Q&A time that benefited me more. It showed me that you guys are really wanting to do this. You're wanting to get this. You're asking such practical questions about discipleship, and it encouraged me so much. This is one of my favorite topics to preach on because it was so central to the mission of Jesus. We saw that last week. He poured his life into 12 men. Today we're going to look at how it was central in the ministry of Paul. It's the way to reach the world. It's had a huge impact on me. And so we read in 2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That last verse, I want to encourage you to put verse 2 on a card this week. Meditate on it. Put it on your dashboard. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your phone. Meditate on verse 2 because it is so key to the mission God has called us to. Father, we pray now that you would anoint your word. God, this is a holy moment. These next 30 minutes or so, it's holy, because we sit under the authority of your holy, inspired word. We ask you to teach us, instruct us, equip us, empower us to live what we've seen. God, if, if this church lives out this message, 
It is incredible what we could see happen. Generations affected, many, many lives affected. So God, I'm praying big and bold that this next year, as we embrace this vision, this, this goal of disciple, be one, make one, God, that you would just do incredible things in the life of this church in this next year. And it be all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So let me define discipleship. Discipleship is one maturing believer assisting another maturing believer to the point where that maturing believer helps another maturing believer to the point where that maturing believer helps another maturing believer. So let's say that I am helping Rob Calpat. I'm a maturing believer. I want to be growing. I'm not all there yet. I'm not perfect by any means, but we're going to grow together. And so I begin to invest in Rob, and I begin to do things that hopefully help us both grow. But it's not discipleship if it ends with Rob. It's discipleship when then Rob goes and he begins to invest in others and helping them grow. So there is spiritual multiplication. Now Paul, like Jesus, did this. Jesus worked with 12 men. We saw that last week. The disciples did this. Paul did this. Paul was an apostle. That means he went and he helped start new churches. But when he got the church started, he would find a young leader, like Timothy in this case, to pastor and shepherd that church. And then he would go and he would help start another church and another church. And then he'd go back and he'd check on those churches. You read about this in the book of Acts. And so he was encouraging his disciple, Timothy, to do with others what he had done with Timothy. Now, before we even get to point number one, I want to give you a little background on this guy, Timothy. Because a lot of people think that, oh, he was this strong, great man of God, just full of faith, and he was probably this incredible leader. Actually, probably just the opposite. Many people believe, based on the scriptures I'm going to share with you in a minute, that Timothy probably had a pretty big inferiority complex. He was probably very timid, timid Timothy. He had some fear and anxiety in his life. And he probably didn't feel very qualified to do what he was called to do. Guess what? Welcome to ministry. Because that's exactly the way many of us feel. Unqualified. Not mature enough. The biggest hindrance to people doing discipleship is they never feel like they're good enough. They never feel like they're mature enough. I just need to grow a little more. I need to take a few Bible classes. And all of that's fine and dandy. But if you wait until you feel qualified, you'll never do this. Timothy had some physical issues. Remember Paul said to him, take a little wine for your frequent stomach ailments. So he was probably kind of physically frail. Some believe that that physical problem with his stomach may have been kind of like due to ulcers because he may have had an anxiety disorder. He may have even had a lot of fear issues because in 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul said, God has not given you a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. He was probably felt a little inferior because of his age. We don't know exactly what his age was, but Paul had to say, look, Timothy, don't let anyone look down upon you because of your youthfulness. So he probably didn't feel like he was old enough, mature enough, healthy enough to do this. Furthermore, in 2 Timothy 1, Paul mentions his mother and grandmother as spiritually raising him. So he probably had the absence of a good, healthy, spiritual father figure in his life. Might not have even known his father. We don't know. So Timothy had a lot of things going against him. He wasn't the most put-together, qualified, 
super saint that you would think Paul would entrust this ministry to. And I take great comfort in that, and I hope you do today too, because guess what, guys? If we will get over ourselves, we will do this. Because if I'm discipling somebody, if I'm helping a person grow, it's not about drawing them to David Holt. My job is to point them to Jesus, point them to the Word. If I make it about me, it'll never happen. But if I make it about Him, it can happen. And that's why I believe in verse 1, he says this, the foundation of all that we're talking about with discipleship is grace. It's grace. He said, be strong in the grace. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So what is this super spiritual Christian word called grace? Well, it just means simply God's unmerited, undeserved favor and love. It's basically God giving us what we don't deserve because it's about Him and not us. We can't earn our salvation by our works. We can't earn our salvation by religion. We can't earn our salvation by doing enough good things. We can never earn our relationship with God. It's a gift given by God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, His blood shed, His life given, His death, His resurrection. That's what saves us. That's what qualifies us to be in His family. That's called the grace of God. And we're strengthened by that. And so the more we get away from focusing on ourselves and focusing on Him, the more we recognize that it's not about me, it's about Him. And what does Romans 5 says? It says we are justified by grace through faith, and it says that it's the grace in which we now stand. You don't stand on your works. I don't stand on my performance. We don't stand on our education. We don't stand on our level of maturity. We stand on the grace of God. It's the grace of God for salvation. It's the grace of God for our love and our identity. It's the grace of God for even when we feel weak. What does 2 Corinthians 12 say? It says that the grace is sufficient, therefore His power is made perfect in my weakness. So actually it's in those moments of weakness. It's in those moments of feeling inadequate. It's in those moments when we feel like I don't have what it takes. That that is to signal us to say, God, I need you. God, empower me. God, help me do this with your strength and your power in the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen? Tell you what, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for grace. I needed His grace this week. Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, I'm having knee replacement surgery. And so this past week, I had to go for my pre-op stuff. And I'm in this room full of patients in the doctor's office. And this woman is there, her arms in a sling, and she's just grimacing in pain. And I felt one of those promptings of the Holy Spirit to go over and pray for her. And I blew it. I don't know if it was fear. I don't know. I don't know. But I felt horrible that I missed the Holy Spirit. Clear prompting from God. And I did not obey. So did I get in my car that day and leave that office and say, you know what, I'm a lousy Christian. I have no right to be a pastor. I'm going to submit my resignation on Sunday. No. I said, God, I need your grace. God, give me a second chance. And he will. God, forgive me for that. I missed you, but man, I just felt so horrible that I'd missed the Lord. And it just was a prompting in my own spirit that I don't want to miss it again. But aren't we glad for grace today, you guys? God's grace covers those failures and those flaws and those sins and those times we miss Him. 
So where, where maybe in your life today do you need to just receive His grace? Don't let the enemy beat you up, shame you, condemn you. We stand in grace. Number two, and this is really the, the kind of the bullseye of the passage. The charge, so the foundation is grace. The charge is multiplying discipleship. Here's the key verse, the one that I encourage you to meditate on this week. Paul says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's dissect that. Timothy, what you've heard from me. So Paul poured into Timothy. Paul invested in Timothy. Paul helped Timothy grow. Paul wasn't the perfect Christian. He certainly failed many times. But he took Timothy under his wing, so to speak. And he began to pour into him. And then he says, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Now, I'm not against one-on-one discipleship. But I think the most effective discipleship happens in the context of community in the context of the local church why is that because if i begin to say pour into steve or disciple steve steve's going to ask me questions i don't have answers to steve's going to bring up things that i don't know how to handle what do i do then i go to other people in the body of christ to give me support and i can go to other people to help me answer that and so the best environment for discipleship is in the context of a healthy local church or community of believers Then he says this, entrust what I have given you, entrust to faithful men. First of all, he didn't say women. Men disciple men, women disciple women. Be careful about, you never want to get in a situation where a man is discipling a woman. So he says, entrust these to other men, Timothy. And then, again, the key to this happening on a multiplicative level is that that person then disciples others so we showed you this diagram last week but notice the difference last week it was jesus with the 12 now it's paul investing in timothy and timothy takes a few people under his wings and begins to invest in them to the point where they invest in others and again our definition one maturing believer assisting another maturing believer to the point where that maturing believer helps another maturing believer and so forth and so on listen carefully to this If you shared the gospel with a thousand people a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, it would take over 12,000 years to reach the world, and that with zero population growth. But if in one year you discipled two new Christians to share their faith and teach others, and then they did the same for the next year, and they did the same for the next year, in the 28th year, there would be enough disciples to share Christ with over 6 billion people. Beloved, that's the power of spiritual multiplication. So I want to illustrate that for you today. Rob, Steve, and who else? Jimmy, come on up. So let's suppose that I select these three men to be in my discipleship group for this next year. And I'm going to pour into them and I'm going to invest in them. And man, I'm by no means, you know, implying here that I'm more godly or even more spiritual. But these are men that God's put on my heart. And again, as I said last week, one of the the most practical ways to approach this, if you're not comfortable with, hey, I'm forming a discipleship group and I'd like you to be in it, that's fine to say. 
but you might just say, hey, I'm forming a group that we all help each other grow deeper in Christ. Would you be interested? Yeah. Well, then let's do it. So we meet for a year. Okay. And now I'm entrusting to you guys to do what I've done with you. So I want you to go out and get three men out of the audience and bring them up here. And while they're doing that, I'm going to get three new ones myself because they're going forth, but I'm going to also get three men. So brother, you come on up. All right. You come on up and you come on up. So this is now the second generation. So the my, my original three guys, that's kind of our first generation. And now this is our second generation. Nice shirt, brother. I like that. <laughs> Y'all come on up. Come on, get, get in the center here. All right, so this is the... You already see now the impact. This is now the second generation. All right? We, you've all met for a year. You're now going to be sent out to go get three more. So every, including me. So we all go and we get three more. At this point, we're going to keep it to men. We're going to eventually get to you women just because we have to to include the entire audience. I'd like you two guys and you. Come on up with me, please. Come on, go find those disciples. What do we say? We're now what? Third, third generation? Third generation. Guys, come on up. Hurry. Let's go. There we go. That's right. That's right. This is a whole heart advance already. Wow. Third generation, guys. Look at this. Look at this. Third generation. Met for a year grown in Christ, you feel inadequate, don't you? You don't feel qualified, do you? Welcome to ministry. Welcome to Timothy's life. All your flaws, all your failures, all your shortcomings, he's called you to do this. Because if you're strong in his grace, if you're strong in him, we get our eyes off ourselves and our flaws and our failures and our shortcomings because we're not pointing them to us. Right? We're pointing them to who? Jesus and to his word. So this is going to be the fourth generation now. Let's all go get three more. And this can be women. This can be women. If you're physically unable to come up, then just stay down on the floor. But there are railings over here on the side. Don't want anybody injured. I don't want anybody in the operating room with me this week for knee surgery. <laughs> Here we go, fourth generation, just get three people, let's go, come on, let's go, hustle up, hustle up. <laughs> See, here at Living Hope, you don't just sit on your chair on Sundays. We believe in personal involvement. Whoa. All right, everybody get three? Look at this. Come on, is there anybody left? Whoa. No, 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 you only get three, you only get three. It's okay if you're not selected. Okay, everybody look up here. Look, 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 look right here. I got to get up there or it doesn't pick up good on the camera, does it, Richard? All right, guys, listen. This is just the fourth 
This is just the fourth generation. No, it's okay. We're not, we're not cheating on the three. They're good. Look at the impact. Look at how quick spiritual multiplication happens. Guys, just dream with me just for a minute before you go back to your seats. Just imagine for one minute what God could do in this church in 2022 if we take this serious. Think of the lives that can be touched, families that can be restored, marriages that can be impacted, addictions that can be overcome, healings that can happen, businesses that can be transformed, ministries that could be impacted because some may go to ministries outside of Living Hope. Look at how quick multiplication impacts generation upon generation upon generation. Let's believe God big for 2022. Amen? All right. You can go back to your seats. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Thank you, guys. One maturing believer assisting another maturing believer to the point where that maturing believer assists another maturing believer to the point where that maturing believer assists another maturing believer for the glory of God. All right. By the way, college students, it is so great to have you all here. When you're not here, there's such a big hole right here in our auditorium. Can we give our college students a big hand? I'm telling you, you guys, as, as you allow God to touch your life and transform your life, and if you get this vision in you, and you start doing this even as college students, it is incredible, the fruit that you're going to have in your life. All right, so let's shift now to the final point. What Paul does now is he's going to give Timothy three examples to look to in their culture, a soldier, a farmer, and an athlete. Thankfully, these are two, three things that are very common in our culture. And he takes these to illustrate what it means, and he uses them basically as kind of living illustrations. And so the first is the soldier, verse 3 and 4. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Let's tear this apart. First, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier. Some translations say, no soldier in active service. So clearly this is a soldier who is, who is in active service. It's wartime. It's not peacetime. I wish it was peacetime, but it's not. The Bible says we are in a battle. The Bible says that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. If you're going to do ministry, if you're going to live for Jesus, if you're going to make disciples, you can expect it's not going to be easy. There will be suffering. There will be trials. There will be temptations. There will be hardships. There will be dry times. There will be times when you want to throw in, your, throw in the towel. We are in battle, you guys. We battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our culture is getting increasingly ungodly. It is not as friendly to Christian values as it used to be. It is going to be more intense and more difficult to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. This is why we need each other. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. But he says that we are in wartime. Then he says this, and it's probably one of the most challenging parts of this whole section of Scripture. He says, no soldier in active service gets entangled in civilian affairs. This will preach. Listen, I'm talking to myself as much as anybody today. Is there anybody in the audience that has braided hair? You've got some braids. Anybody? Willing to come up real quick? 
Yes, thank you. This word entangled literally is the word for the braiding of hair. And so you take a strand or a group of hairs, right? And you do this kind of like you're doing a rope. And so they would have known this in their culture. Fishermen had ropes that were braided, but hair that's braided. And it's literally the word, it means in-weaved, is the word translated entangled. In plus weaved, so it's weaved in. What he's saying is, just like this braid here, it would be very hard to get that apart because it's tight and it's connected together. Thank you. In the same way, he's saying that we as believers are not to be entangled in civilian affairs. What does that mean? It means, can you imagine a soldier today who's going to go to Afghanistan, let's say, but before he gets on the army plane, he says, wait, I need to first get my 60-inch color TV and take it with me. I need my six-pack of beer. I need to take my video games. I need to take these hobbies that I have. You would say, that's crazy. It's wartime. Or a guy who abandons his post in Afghanistan and goes to the bars and gets drunk and gets entangled in civilian affairs and he leaves his post and he leaves his mission. It's not saying that it's wrong to do some of those things that per se, like, you know, like hobbies, but what it's saying is that we are to be on mission. And if we get involved in these civilian affairs, these temporal things, it can divert us from accomplishing the goal of making disciples. There is a sacrifice involved. Soldiers enlist. They are willing to go where they send them. They say, I am here to serve my country. We are to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Is He your Savior and Lord or just your Savior? If He's our Lord, then He calls the shots. We are to obey Him and He calls us to make disciples. And it will involve sacrifice. It will involve, at times, putting aside things that we want to do in order to do what God has called us to do. So that's the soldier. Where are you entangled in civilian affairs? What is it in your life, perhaps, that takes up so much time and energy that you say, I don't have time to do this? What might need to be set aside in order to be a disciple maker? Then he takes the athlete. We know athletes well, just like he did. In verse 5, he says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, in that day, they would give a crown for the winner, just like we give trophies. And one thing I've learned about athletes is, man, they love to win. They do what they do to win. They stay disciplined. They stay focused. They work hard because they want to win the game. And they're very disappointed when they don't win. They compete to win. We as believers need to compete to win. We need to compete. We need to do what God's called us to do to win. There's nothing wrong with that. What is the win in the Christian life? It's being obedient to God and hearing well done. And I love this imagery here of a crown because we know from a sermon I preached about two months ago, the five crowns, the five rewards that the Bible talks about believers getting if they are faithful. Randy Alcorn writes in his books that God has wired within every person the desire to be rewarded. This is why children love to be rewarded. They love to be given a, a reward for doing their chores or for, for making good grades. And he says, we often think that wanting a reward is selfish. Not necessarily, he says. He says he believes that God put that into our spiritual DNA as one of the motivations 
to be faithful to his call and to ministry and to live a holy life so that one day we will hear well done and receive crowns for his glory. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to be rewarded in heaven if you do it for the right motive. So just like that athlete wants to win, so should we live to win for the glory of God. And then he says this, and it's real interesting what he says. He doesn't win unless he competes according to the rules. Athletes know well about rules and penalties. Offsides, five-yard penalty. Other penalties, 10 yards. Pass interference, 15 yards. Targeting, disqualified. In the same way, there are certain sins that can penalize us in terms of our effectiveness. There are certain sins that can set us back. There's others that could disqualify us. Now, God's grace can forgive anything. But if David Holt committed adultery, I would no longer be qualified to be pastor of this church. Could I be restored? Possibly. But my being disobedient to the Holy Spirit in the doctor's office this week, did that disqualify me from being the pastor here? No. That was a five-yard penalty. (laughs) But I've confessed and I've received God's grace and I don't want that five-yard penalty again. It's motivated me to be more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and not miss it next time. And I'm asking God to give me another opportunity this week to make up for that penalty. So there's certain things in our walk that will have more serious consequences. And if we're going to be a spiritual athlete, disciplined, teachable, that's the thing about athletes that I I so admire because I know now a few NFL players that used to go to this church. Charlie Warner, Jake Fromm, they, they, they still have coaches. They don't say, oh, I'm an NFL, I'm a professional football player now. I don't need to be coached. I don't need a dietitian. I don't need a, a trainer. No, they, they stay teachable and humble and realize they can always get better. How much more so with us? We stay humble and teachable. That's the spiritual athlete. And then finally, the third example is the farmer. Verse 6, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. I tell you, I admire farmers so much. I think they're some of the hardest working people in this country. Do y'all remember um, Jordan Rowe? He used to come here and graduated, and now he's kind of doing the country music thing in Nashville. Well, all of his concerts, he, he does support for local farmers. They sell hats and shirts because he wants to bring attention to these amazing people in our country, farmers. And one thing you know about a farmer is they are hard workers, man. Sun up, sundown, planting, tilling, harvesting, milking the cows, getting the eggs, planting the garden. They are hard workers. How interesting that Paul would use that as an example to Timothy. Because ministry's hard. Ministry's not easy. Discipling people is not easy. And one of the things that we learn from a farmer is this thing called the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest is this, you reap what you sow, you reap later than you sow, and you reap more than you sow. You reap what you sow. You plant a corn seed, you get a corn plant, not a tomato plant. If we will invest and sow into people godly things, prayer, the word of God, love, nurturing, then that's what's going to produce a good harvest. Number two is that the law of the harvest is you produce later than you sow. That's the hard part, isn't it? It's always hard to wait. We want to see maturity more quickly in our own lives and in the lives of others. 
That farmer plants the seed and he waits and then it comes out of the ground and then it gets stronger and then it produces a harvest. So you reap what you sow, you reap later than you sow, but here's the good part, you reap more than you sow. As you disciple that person and they disciple somebody, you have no idea the amazing fruit that could happen. You just look at that illustration we did today and those three people you grab, you begin to invest in them and love them and nurture them and and help them grow and you're growing at the same time. You have no idea the impact that could have on them, their future marriage, their future children and grandchildren. One day in heaven, all those people come up to you and say, thank you for the impact you had on me. You had no idea, but that guy that you discipled In Athens, Georgia that year, well, guess what? That's my spiritual (laughs) great-great-great-grandfather. And let me tell you the incredible fruit that's been born in the lives of the people that were impacted by that little group of three that you had. So I said last week that we need to look for fat Christians. And I'm not talking physically fat. I'm talking faithful, available, teachable. And I think these three examples today illustrates this. That the farmer is faithful. Man, if a farmer's not faithful, he is not going to produce a harvest. If he just quits planting seeds, he neglects that field, lets the weeds grow and take it over, he's not going to be fruitful. He's got to be faithful. Every day, sun up to sundown. I believe that the soldier illustrates availability because when a soldier signs up for service, he says, I'll go wherever you send me. Soldier doesn't have an option if they say you're going to Afghanistan. And no, I prefer to to go to Hawaii. No, that's not an option. You're going to Afghanistan. That's what they sign up for. What does the Bible say about a Christian? We are to be like Isaiah. Here am I. Send me. And then finally, the athlete is the one who is teachable. The athlete is teachable by being coached and by always getting better. All right. Before we go into some question and answer time, and Jimmy, if you'd get ready for that, please, I want you to take out your smartphone. And I want you to go into our mobile app. If you don't already have it, download it. Living Hope Church Athens. By the way, our internet code here is all caps, exalt God, E-X-A-L-T-G-O-D, and then the number seven, exalt God seven. Those of you online, here's what it looks like. This is our app. Got our little icon there, you see it? So bring up our app, and before I tell you where to go next, it was really cool because last week, Brooks Lamont, who's doing an internship here, he said, Pastor David, how are we going to know if we succeed in this goal in 2022 of disciple, be one, make one? A year from now, how are we going to know if we've hit the target? How are we going to know if people really did this? Well, at that moment, I felt like the Lord gave me an idea. Let's put on our app the ability for people under register, so now tap on register, Third item down says what? Disciple, be one, make one. So you go to our app, you go to register, you go to disciple, be one, make one, and there's a series of questions. First is this, I am willing to disciple somebody. It's just saying you're willing. This is just the starting point. We're going to help you, you guys. Then the next one, I'd like to be discipled. So maybe you say, I want to be discipled, and somebody else says, I want to disciple somebody, but I don't know who in the world to disciple, and we know this person, and we know that person, and we say, hey, they might make a good connection. So Dustin Butler and I are going to follow up with every one of these. And then if you're willing to be discipled, there's a number of questions. What material will you use? I don't know. Put I don't know. When and where will we meet? I have no clue. Put I don't have any clue. How can we assist you? That's the key question. 
because we want to be there to help you for this next year, to encourage you, to check in with you. How can we help you? We've got a ton of material that we can put in your hands. We will have some equipping sessions maybe if you need that. Hey, let's just meet here for an hour. We'll give you some teaching leadership stuff on how to lead a good group. Next week, the message is going to be all about practically making this as practical and applicable as possible. But today, if you're just willing to say, I'm willing, or I'm willing to be willing, I'm going to take that first step, let us know on the app so we can be in touch with you as we go into the days ahead. This is exciting stuff, you guys. I'm so excited to see what God's going to do. All right, let's take some questions. Text those in, raise your hand, and we're going to go into our time of communion and some extended worship. Raise your hand, text a question in. So uh, in the second service, good question, a guy that teaches a um, women's soccer team at a high school. He said, I know you said you're not supposed to do women, but I've got these girls in my, on my soccer team, and we meet regularly for soccer team, and I'm trying to use that as an opportunity for discipleship. What do you think of that? And I said, that sounds great. As long as you do it as a group, and you're never alone with one of those girls. You know, you could, you could do that in that setting. It could be where the, the, the coach is using his time with the team as, as, as a teachable moment and an opportunity to, to pour into those girls. But make sure their parents know that you're doing it, they're blessing it, and I, again, I think the most important disciples for parents are their children. The number one people parents need to be discipling are their kids. All right. Got any questions? Yes. Okay. So the verse that says that no soldier should get entangled in civilian affairs, you know, I think a lot of Christians historically have taken that to mean, hey, don't get involved in politics. You know, stay, and I think that historically... The last few generations has led to some very bad secular outcomes in the U.S. Yes. So could you clarify that a yes, little bit? Yes, thank you. Yes. So funny you asked that, Rich, because that was one of the questions asked in second service today was, does this mean we shouldn't be involved in politics? Absolutely, it doesn't mean that. Christians need to be involved in school boards, running for office. It'd be awesome if more Christians got involved in politics seeking to bring godly Christian values back to this country. So why I agree 100%. One of the reasons this country has drifted far from God is because too many Christians have pulled out of the public arena. That is not what this is teaching. It's teaching what I said. It's that we are to stay focused on the mission of doing God's will. Civilian affairs is that which keeps us away from serving God. It doesn't mean that we're not involved in public life and public things like politics, school boards, all of that stuff. Amen? Amen. You guys agree with that? Amen. All right. Yeah, we need more believers in, these, in those arenas. How would you counsel parents who have tried to plant good, godly seeds in their children while raising them, and they show little or no fruit and stray away from the faith when they've gotten older? Well, that is a tough one, and I know many parents are, are dealing with that. Number one, continue to live an exemplary life because you will have more impact through your life than anything else, and it's caught more than taught. Prayer, because it's a spiritual battle, come against the powers of darkness, so make sure you're covering your children in prayer. And then I just think you, you, you seek to pour into them what they're willing to receive. You don't come on so heavy that you're going to bruise the fruit or scare them off, but you pour into them as they're able. And then you try to bring other factors into their life. 
You can bring other influencers. This is where the young man that was, decided, that was baptized in the second service today, he's got a great relationship with his parents, but they are so glad that Josh Brooks is involved in his life. Josh Brooks was up here for the baptism um, because Josh can impact him in a way his parents can't. Um, my, my wife was, was in, kind of rebelled from the Lord in her late teens, and her mom orchestrated that she, uh, she, was, she needed a place to live. Dee Dee's mom knew there were four Christian girls that needed a fifth roommate, and she worked that out right now, Nan was one of those, and worked it out where Dee Dee moved in with these four godly young women, Nan Lee being one of them, and late at night, they, she began, God began to soften her heart, she began to ask late night questions, and long story short, she got saved, and now she's my wife. So don't ever give up, but bring other, bring other people and factors to bear, but, but continue to pray and pour in as, as they're receptive. But don't come on too strong, because sometimes that can just bruise the fruit. Uh, it's well documented about Paul's past. In fact, you know, he felt undeserving you know, of God's grace for things he'd done. And when, I know he had a thorn in the flesh that he wouldn't, no one knows what it was. So if, if there's something, a thorn that we have, should we keep it a secret? As Paul did? or No. Well, he didn't keep it a secret. Well, I mean, he, he kept the specifics of it in Scripture a secret, but that doesn't mean that he didn't tell somebody. I think God intentionally didn't want us to know his thorn because then we would compare our struggles with his thorn, and comparison's never a healthy thing. But I think if we're going to overcome weaknesses, so there's a difference between, I think there are thorns that are sins, and there are thorns that are just areas of, of consistent struggle. If it's a thorn that's a sin like drunkenness, sexual immorality, stealing, cheating, lying. That needs to be dealt with at the very root level. It needs to be uprooted. It needs to be repented of. You cannot get victory unless, over those things unless you confess to somebody, in my opinion. You've got to come clean. You've got to admit to at least one trusted person. This is why Celebrate Recovery and some of the ministries here are so good because they're environments with healthy, unconditional love where a person can be transparent and they're not going to be rejected. If it's, if it's an area of just struggle, or maybe it's an area of temptation, but you're not falling into it. Or let's say it's, it's a difficult marriage. You know, there's just, a, there's just a marriage, and it's a struggle. You're not sinning. You're not being immoral. You're not committing adultery. But it's just like this marriage just seems to, to always be difficult. That could be a thorn in a sense, that it's designed to keep you more dependent on God. Um, I think Paul's thorn in the flesh was physical struggles. You know, he talked about his, his ailing eyes. He said, see what large letters I write to you. And I think he had, so thorn, pain, flesh, physical. I think it had more to do with physical ailments, physical struggles, like his eye problem. But again, we don't know for sure. But we do know that he allowed it to press him in more to the Lord and to depend more on God's power and God's Holy Spirit. Good question. Worship team, why don't you go ahead and come up and get ready for our response time. Any others? You guys keep them coming. Keep the questions coming. I'll address them by email. And next week we'll get into even more practicals on how to do this. As we prepare for communion, we do discipleship because of what Jesus did to save us. His body broken, His blood shed so that we can stand in His grace. So allow this time of communion to be a time where you just 
come with a fully yielded heart, deeply grateful for what Christ has done for us in his death and his resurrection, his shed blood. Let it be a reminder that we stand in grace. And let this time of response be also a time where we really surrender afresh to God. Yield ourselves to Him. Ask Him to bring people to mind that He may want us to disciple. Let this be a time maybe when you repent of some civilian affairs that that you've become entangled in. Maybe get prayer from somebody if you need it. But let's, we've got this extended time of response in worship that's designed to be where we can really get before the Lord, let Him search our hearts, surrender afresh, go to the app, let us know that you're willing to do this. And just a time of real cleansing and refreshing, committing of ourselves to the Lord. So God, we thank you today. Thank you for this calling that you've given us. Thank you for a purpose, the high calling to disciple others. What a privilege to follow your example, Jesus. We thank you that in the bread and in the juice, we have a great example that you gave your life for us. You sacrificed for us. And so now, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Allow God to search your heart and come when you're ready. Prayer team, if you would be available along the sides, pray with anybody who needs it today. Father, take this time now. Let it be a time of deep communion, deep worship, deep repentance, cleansing, refreshing, empowering, that we would be men and women who fulfill your call to make disciples of all nations.